Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by actor Numi Rapaz. She got her first job performing at around the age of 20 at the Royal Dramatic Theater in Stockholm. In an interview, she said, People were very upset that I was hired without education, but I started acting anyway. I did plays for almost 10 years. That was my school, just working and working. As she continued to essentially learn on the job, she started mapping out the kind of art she wanted to make. She comes from that European school of thought, creating work that challenges and provokes. It made sense then that her breakout part came in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo back in 2009. The acclaimed trilogy later reproduced in America catapulted Rapace from Stockholm to Los Angeles. There, she starred in a string of movies you have probably seen. Sherlock Holmes, Prometheus, Passion by Brian De Palma, The Drop, Alien Covenant, What Happened to Monday. Now she has returned with a new film called Lamb from A24. It's set around a childless couple running a sheep farm in Iceland. All good so far. Then a kind of biological miracle occurs. To explain, I turn to the glowing review of the film in the New York Times. They write, When a pregnant you delivers something that's neither man nor beast, 
a tiny hybrid, revealed to us only gradually. Maria and Ingvar, the couple, are alarmingly unfazed, swaddling the creature and installing it in a crib in their bedroom. They name it Ada. Indeed, this couple remains unfazed by the tiny hybrid human lamb. They welcome it into their life like a newborn. To quote the review once more, Lamb plays like a folktale and thrums like a horror film. And if you like to see it, and it is worth seeing, visit tickets.lamb.movie. That's tickets.lamb.movie. You can also learn more about the film on our website at talkeasypod.com. For now, Numi and I talk about some of the themes of the picture, especially around motherhood and domesticity, and how this timely project has turned into this kind of remarkable homecoming for the actor, the kind of film she always wanted to make growing up and hopes to continue to make in the years ahead. Until then, this is Numi Rapace. Numi Rapaz. Yes. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We got you out of hotel rooms all the way to Highland Park. I would have gone two hours. Don't say that too loud. I would prefer to drive myself, though. I love driving. Congratulations on this movie. The film follows a three-chapter structure. Mm -hmm. And I thought, for the sake of this conversation we're going to have, I think we can break our talk into three chapters. Okay. You tell me if, if that makes any sense. I think it makes total sense. Okay, good. Now, my understanding is that before you take a role, your son, Lev, will ask you, okay, mom, before you do this, who is this person you're about to play? Mm. When he asked you about Lamb, what was your answer? Her name is Maria. She lost her baby girl, Ata, and uh, she hasn't dealt with the pain and the grief, so she kind of put her life on hold. And then she gets golden opportunity to be a mother again and she takes it and she will not let go and this little chance is a it's a half half human half lamb baby and uh, she will fight for that happiness with all she has did your son have a follow-up question to the half human half lamb baby i had this strange like visual book that Valtimar, the director brought to my house i started showing him some images and uh, they're quite disturbing, and they're quite dark. And he's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> he's like, okay, 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 good. But do you, do, do you need to do any stunts? Like, that's his always, like, that's the to-go to. Like, he want to know if I'm going to get injured. I broke my nose in January this year on a movie, and uh, that was quite dramatic. And I feel like now he's, like, he's 18, so he's a man. Like, he's not a kid anymore. So now he's like, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> he's just like, he's like, stop asking questions. He's more like... I would advise you to not take that role. <laughs> so I think he's like stepping into becoming more of a, a mentor and a parent to me. <laughs> Isn't he also asking you because you have a tendency to throw yourself into the part? Yeah. 
He's been with me on set like several times when he was younger and he was like, ma, ma, like, please don't. Like, can you just like, can you do like 80%? And I was like, yeah, I'll try. And he's like, oh, you know, <laughs> he knows me like better than anyone. I created an, an identity for myself to be a person that always gives 100%. And I, I can't, like, I, I just can't do less. And I'm very stubborn. And I, I kind of, every role, there's always a, a moment, there's always a, one wall that I that I need to climb and I need to confront some fear in myself. And sometimes it's physical, sometimes emotional, psychological. But I just like, if I have that thing, it's like, oh, that's scary. I just need to go there. What was the fear for this film? The fear of loving again, even though you lost and open up again and, and believing in love, even though it's painful. That's a big one. Yeah. I mean, it was. And uh, it was scary. I was scared. Uh, this movie and this character like brought me back to my roots. And I remember when I like shut down when I was like early teens. It was, uh, I think I was like 12. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to, I can't, I can't walk around, around in this world with an open heart. I need to like protect myself. And now I went back to Iceland. And I was like, okay, you have a golden chance to to open that wound and see if you can heal it a bit. And, and uh, so it was like both like simultaneously Maria and Nomi that went to a place that was like scary to go to. You are born in Sweden. You grew up in Iceland starting around the age of five. Mm -hmm. What happens at 12 that pushes you inward? We moved back to Sweden when I was like eight and a half, nine. And I was devastated. I didn't want to live in Sweden. So I went back to Iceland like every summer. So I, you know, I finished school, like the Swedish system is slightly different from here. So you kind of wrap, you know, wrap up around like early June and I would fly to Iceland alone, like leaving my family in Sweden. And then uh, work, work all summer and then come back with some money and then go back to school and wait for the next summer, you know. So I was living for the summers in Iceland. But when I was 12, I think I was just came back from my trip, my Icelandic summer trip. And I remember there was like a man that, you know, um, an old, like a 40, maybe 45 year old man who just looked at me with like some kind of desire in his eyes. And I just, I remember he was really, he didn't do anything, but he was violent for me. I felt like my innocence and my freedom was um, threatened. And in that moment, I, it became a battle almost. Uh, and I started a war instead of being like, I'm not going to be a target. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight, you know, so... And, I, and then I started a closing process, I think. After your mom fell in love with an Icelandic man, when you do move back to Iceland, mm. by 1986, you said, my childhood ended. You were seven years old then. And yet now you're talking about this moment at age 12 that feels like another yeah. kind of ending. Yeah, a lot of endings. What's happening in these years that keep making you say, I think my innocence is being taken away? I had to grow up too soon. I don't have memories from my childhood and uh, I became a survivor. And uh, I guess it was a combination of maybe my parents not being parents that I had to like step in and be, take responsibilities that I wasn't, that shouldn't be on, on me. But also um, I, I was, I always felt like misunderstood like, oh, I, like, oh, this is weirdo. Like, I, I obviously don't function like the other kids. And I was just very uh, honest. I, I didn't I didn't like pretending. And I, I didn't like to, to play after the rules that was kind of given to me. And that made me quite frustrated and therefore angry. How did your parents respond to that? I think they were scared of me. 
I mean, my real dad was not around. I didn't know him. But my stepdad, I mean, he was the one fighting me. So I would say that at least he put up a fight. Like, at least he was, like, questioning me. My mom was just like, uh, talk to your dad. And I was like, he's not my dad. <laughs> I had a very strong temper. Now I'm like, now I try to smile instead of, like, get angry. I see that. Yeah. <laughs> But I sense the anger. Yeah. I guess I, I learned to control and to deal with uh, heartbreak and a sensation of being the only one speaking. I felt like an alien. It's like there's no one else speaking my language. <laughs> and that kind of, it creates some kind of terror ba balance to the people around you. Because you're like, in a strange way, I was like, one day I'm going to leave you all anyway. So I'm just here for a little time. And then you did leave. And then I did leave. At around 14. Mm -hmm. What happens? I moved in with a boyfriend when I was 14. I mean, it's that's not okay. <laughs> when I look back, it's like I was a kid. But back then I felt like I was an adult. And I've been an adult for so many years. So kind of, it felt like it was the only, the right thing to do. And then I, I, I was with him for a year and then I left him and I moved to Stockholm, which is like an eight hour drive from the farm. To go to Stockholm Theater School. Correct. I think what I'm trying to get at, from an early age, you had this autonomy. And so when you're a teenager, I don't know, it seems like the only way you could have survived is by doing what mm. you said you did, which is closing, mm. defining the parameters, mm. making sure no one got too close. Mm -hmm. But I wondered, how isolating was that for you? I mean, it's extremely lonely. And I think that's where acting became the... The way out, like the bridge out of that cocoon. Acting and films are communication. It's connecting to a character and to the other actors, to the director. It's like a constant, you have to stay open, otherwise you're lost. So it's the opposite of what I learned to do from an early age. By the time you're 18 or 19, and you're performing a little bit more, mostly in theater, you said, I remember feeling that the only place I existed felt feelings and was fully alive, was on stage. Everything else was slightly vague and weak, and I didn't really care. Those emotions really scared me. I was like, what kind of person is that who can only live and feel anything real on stage? Yeah, I think Lev was the beginning of, uh, he became like connecting tissue. Your son? Yeah, my son. From, from that, from the reality on stage where I felt safe. Um, stage and in front of the camera was safe and it was, I was free but you can't live like that because then you're not a you're not a person you're not you're not in this world like world you can't be a mother you can't be a lover you can't be someone's girlfriend or wife like you can't be someone's friend if if that's the only place you open so I guess like when Lev came a new chapter started and he was my witness and he is my witness. He's the, the love of my life. He is so fearless and he's so honest. And as soon as you have someone that, that it matters to, then you want to be the best version of yourself and you want to break destructive patterns. That destructiveness in your teenagehood, you said, I got a lot of good offers and was working a lot. Then I realized I was just doing things without really caring about the consequences. Mm -hmm. I was hurting people. Through my acting, I could get in touch with things within myself because it was a safer place to do it. Later, I managed to build a bridge between the chaos inside of me. When was the first time you felt like you built that bridge? I mean, I'm still building it. 
it's kind of coming and going. I, I sometimes I feel like, oh yeah, I have a bridge. I think we can cross now. And then it's like, oh, uh, hold on, back up. I, I can, I can, I, there's a crack here. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> we have some construction work over here. Please don't enter. Yeah, pause, pause, pause. What was so destructive about you? At that age, I honestly thought I was a sociopath because I didn't feel anything. You know, I was just looking at people crying and like, you know, saying that I was like destructive, that I did things to hurt others or hurt myself. And like, and I was like, what are you, what are you screaming about? Like, what's the drama? Like, chill. Like, we're going to die one day anyway. You know, I was so reckless. That was your rationale. It's all going to end. Yeah. And it's like, we might as well die tonight. Like, who knows? You know, I don't want to get old and boring. You know, I had this kind of like, like live fast and live live now and just do or die, do or die, do or die. That was my quote. <laughs> and then having a son changed all that. I would like to say it changed all that, but I would say it changed parts of it. And it started the process of changing it. The beautiful thing is when you open, all of a sudden you feel everything which is quite scary and you're like oh no I'm, I'm actually not a sociopath I feel way too much so the, the big shutdown that happened was probably because I felt way too much also when you're young you're so self-obsessed like you think like oh my god I'm in so much pain and it's like I'm the only you know I'm an alien and I'm such an outsider and I'm an outcast and then you like start looking and actually listening to people around you and you start to listen to other people's stories like everyone felt that way you're like I was not so special like we were all just like uh, separated islands like drifting and trying to connect to something and someone maybe just yourself did acting in your early 20s make you feel grounded in some way that you had something to latch on to for sure that was what I lived for and I had I was fearless I had no I always had this feeling of like I'm not afraid of dying but I was afraid of living and now I'm like I'm not afraid of living, which is like, it was a big realization quite like a couple of years ago. It's like, I love life. I want to be in this life for long. I want to challenge myself and like my old rules and my old manifesto of like how to live and how to approach things. And, you know, I kind of took great pride and it's like, I'm not afraid of anything. It's like, well, is that a good thing? <laughs> because if you're not afraid of anything, then perhaps you haven't actually put a whole lot of value in things. Mm -hmm. And that's just a defense mechanism. If you start to value people or yourself or if you start to care too much, you know, you, you might get your heart broken and then, you you know, you kind of have this feeling that you won't survive that. So, I can you know, you can take anything, but a broken heart is like, you can't survive that. It seems like when it came to the work, you were routinely fearless and dove in. Mm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but also you lose a bit of, I would say, like layers or nuances and colors when fearless is your middle name because <laughs> it, it, it makes you a bit insensitive, you know, because you also like, I would say you block out some vulnerability and, and some fragility and you're kind of milking, you're kind of sitting in that like under the waterfall of pain and it's like, I can take it all. And it's like, yeah, but. You're like losing out on all the stuff over there, you know. Did you know that you were losing out on stuff in your mid-20s when you started performing more and more? Yeah. When I did the girl with a dragon tattoo and I was like, I, I identified so much with that character and she felt very much like a part of me. I was like, and, and on the page in the book, she was like, she's quite like, she's not healthy. Like she's 
quite like disturbed and like asocial. It was like, it's a bit scary that I felt so connected to her. And that was a bit of a wake up call for me. Maybe you should work a little bit more on your social behavior and skills. It feels like you were meant to play that part. Mm-hmm. Because at 14, you have piercings, you've dyed your hair blonde. And I started to think your life almost felt like one long rehearsal for that performance. I've had it maybe just twice where I feel like, okay, I've been rehearsing for this part my whole life. And Lisbeth was the first and Maria in Lamb was the second. Because I was like, I know this. I live this. I've been waiting for this. And that happened when I read the script for, or actually when I read the books for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and when I read the script for Lamb. The process at the end of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I wondered if you had a similar experience at the end of Lamb. Because at the end, you said those films were a year and a half of my life. We did all three back to back and I was a mess. I wrapped the third one and I remember the producers coming in with a big bottle of champagne and everyone was celebrating and happy. I had to run to the bathroom and was just vomiting, my body throwing out Lisbeth. I'm never sick, but I couldn't stand. It was like a physical exorcism. Uh, when we finished Lamb on Iceland, we shot it chronologically. So it's like that last shot when I'm like standing up on the hill and it's like the beginning of a new chapter, but also saying goodbye to the old. And she has this like chaotic volcano inside and it's so painful but she's back in life she's alive she starts the film maybe not fully there and in the end she's every fiber in her body is alive and I felt like when we wrapped that day I was so lost and I came back to my house and it's like and now what what is the chapter and then I I was supposed to start I, I think this was like early September I came back to London and I was supposed to start to to start another film in November. And I was like, I can't do it. And I just kind of pulled out of it. And then COVID happened. <laughs> so I had like a proper break. And I was recovering and processing and and like peeling off. I've heard about this, um, that lobsters, when they change, when they grow out of their shell, that they need to, like, they swim in between two, like, rocks. And they basically force themselves out of the old shell. And it's really painful. And then they come out, and then it's like, the new shell is like, almost like skin. It's like super soft. You know, it's painful, but it's growth. And that was kind of the feeling I had both for Maria and myself. So my my skin was like, it was like a newborn. (laughs) We'll be right back after a quick break. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place 
in the customer experience category at the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And... How are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts. So you were a newborn self throughout the pandemic. Yeah, and it felt like it was meant to be, strangely enough. And I... It was the first time I had time with Lev, my boy, for, for like that we were just home for, I don't know, 10 years. Like, I don't even know when that happened last time. It felt like I needed it more than anything else. So for me, it turned into be something positive. And then I was like looking at the world and hearing friends and listening to people that was in so much anxiety and pain and it was so so much misery and like chaos around me but I was in a I, I found some stillness and a place to slowly grow the new skin and make it become a shell before I had to go out again.
in that stillness, were you thinking about what that new chapter should look like? Yeah, that I needed to stand up for and like live my newfound truth. Which was what? No more hiding. Like, don't pretend that you're like strong and like stronger than you are. Just be what you are, which sounds like such a cliche. I think it's like I've always been on a clock that I was like, oh, result, result. Like, I need to like uh, move fast. I need to get so much done very quickly. And it's always like, I was so driven and I moved so fast and I was like starting things everywhere and just running because I have so much energy. And then you don't really follow up properly. You don't stay enough. You don't stop and think and like uh, reflect. And then things are, gets done like half, half, like it's like an 80%. And it's like, nah, it's better to do 100% and have less emotional, psychological, it could be like project in me or like actual project or people. My personality moves so fast and I'm so hyper. I found a new tool to use that and stay a little bit longer and also put my phone away and like think and not constantly be interacting and fed with new or not fed, actually just stimulated. Distracted. Mm-hmm. Because in the aftermath of those films, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, you do have this stretch that feels like one long sprint. Yes. From, you know, whatever you want to say, Prometheus, Sherlock Holmes, The Drop. It goes on and on and on. And I looked at that and I thought, that's someone running, mo- moving at a full head of steam. Mm-hmm. And I wondered what that did to you. I almost lost myself. You know, when I came out of Sweden, I also divorced my husband. I got married when I was 20. And then when I I left when I was 30, to start a new life in London with my boy. And I was like, you know, I come from a family with no money, so I had to make money. And then you just like, you don't deal with the pain and the heartbreak. And like, even though you're the one leaving, you also, it's like a broken dream. And I just felt like I was like running. The marriage was a broken dream. Yeah. And like the idea. I'm so stubborn. I don't give up. I'm not a quitter, you know. <laughs> and then I was like, I did quit. And it's like, I got a big like identical Christ. Like, does this mean that I'm not the person I think I am? Like, am I someone who gives up? And like, I just kept running. And then I did all these things, but I was not fully present in life uh, for times and I did films that was like I tried to do my best but maybe they didn't really speak for me for the person I am and if I would say like what kind of films I would like to go and see would you would you would you go would you go and see that one on me maybe not (laughs) you know so I feel like now with Lamb that was a turning point and like it started with like Secrets We Keep that I kind of put together and produced but Lamb definitely was like, okay, I reconnected to something I knew and someone I was. And then I've healed like that. It's a it's a scar now, but it's not, it, it healed somehow. And you can look at it and you can accept it and just admit that it's there, but you don't need to carry it as a trophy. Okay, this is you in Stockholm in 2009 on the heels of... The girl with the dragon tattoo coming out. What are we going to watch? I have no idea. I don't have, you know, this uh, crazy dream about going to Hollywood or something like that. Because I I really love to to watch movies and do movies that are 
you know, complicated and about more strange things and complicated things in life because I think life is pretty hard and you know it's it's not easy to be everything that you want to be. But with the success of Millennium on the international scene, this woman's journey may have only just begun. Oh my god, I've never I don't even remember this. I have I if you would have said like do you remember that interview you did when you were like standing with those like fake extensions and like the horrible Gucci glasses like dressed in like some kind of a preschool mama black outfit I would like no I can't recall and I know I was not in a good place in my life uh, during that time and I can see it and it's like so obvious I felt so old there if you had a camera that was like reflecting how I felt on the inside I think during that time in my life I felt like I'm coming to an end <laughs> even though I I sound quite like a teenager I had this like I was tired inside. I brought it up because what you were talking about before the clip mm-hmm. and in that you make a kind of declaration mm-hmm. that you're not going to come here. Yeah. That you're going to make movies yeah. like Lamb. Mm-hmm. And then within 2 years from that clip. Yeah, I was full of shit. <laughs> two things i had this idea that it was no real filmmakers in hollywood <laughs> that it was only like big blockbusters that nobody cared about people like myself didn't but it's also defense mechanism what if they don't pick me what if i don't everyone says that you're going to explode in the world and if you're like oh yeah oh it's going to happen now and what if it doesn't happen i've always been really good at like preparing my own traps and like being ahead of people is like predicting and like manipulating situations so you so you can erase the possibility of getting disappointed. I was talking to Valtemar, uh the director of of Lamb the other day and uh I love art house films. Like I love watching films that marks me. That kind of makes me go to places that I haven't been and and make me rethink and revalue old thoughts or like uh kind of chapters that I closed and it's like oh I think I know this one and then you watch a film and 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 it brings you to new new kind of realizations and most of the time those are like art house films or, or films that are a bit braver and I and he was like he said to me I didn't think you wanted to do art house films I wasn't sure you were going to come on board on them and I was like wait what that's my like that is my dna that's who I am and then that really made me realize like oh that's not how they see me the way i look at myself is not matching the way the world is looking at me and that's what makes this clip kind of incredible which is that emotionally in your body this is a little bit before you get a divorce this is before your career expands when we look at it now and people hear you you're a very different person today in 2021 and yet that last bit about making films that are messy about making films that are complicated in that way you have return to where you started. Mhm. And that is my truth. Like I love that. I guess that's also a part of like why I wanted to start producing and and uh my dream is to support and like help and do whatever I can for other people that share that kind of passion. So it's not just about me. I think I've removed my attention slightly from myself I've been so like self-centered <laughs> I was like you know first like swimming around in my pain and it's like oh yeah I'm so destructive and I so much pain and then it's like it, it's been a lot of survival and then now I'm on a place where it's like I want to pay way and 
and creates, you know, a community for people that um, that share uh, that that shares a, some kind of common dream or or, or taste or or um, approach to films and why f- like certain films should be made. I think one of the reasons this film works is because it's doing the thing you said art house films tend to do, which is force the viewer to reopen a chapter of their life. Mm. And as we leave, I was thinking about what chapter this film opened up in you, especially as a mother. When you love someone, when you really love someone, what the love really is in me is freedom that I should protect and like do everything I can to make Lev, me being his mother, to protect his freedom. And in Lamb, in the end, what I felt... Maria was like, why she doesn't run after Ada? And like, she, she's not trying to hold on to the happiness or the, the medicine or the medication, the possibility to, to this new chapter. She's letting it go. And motherhood should be about freedom. Motherhood for me should, should be about like giving as much love as, as, as you can and do your very best, but also set, set your child free. And not, it's not, it's not your accessory. It's not, your child like my son doesn't belong to me he doesn't owe me anything he has the right to leave and be himself and do his life whenever he wants and we have a lot of conversations about it and lamb really sparked that realization in me has it helped your relationship with your mom no (laughs) my relationship with my mom is complicated i have to be responsible for my own happiness so i don't put my happiness on lev Maria in the end of Lamb needs to be the one responsible for her own healing and her own happiness. And she can't put that on on Atta. And my mom, in her worst moments, have made me feel like she's depending on me or she needs me to to support her, you know. And then that's a direct threat against my my freedom. Cause then I become nutrition for her you know I'm I'm the thing she needs to function in a way which is impossible because love that's not love that is the opposite that's dependency and that is that becomes like an emotional prison and it's that exact prison that you're trying to avoid in your relationship to your son mm-hmm. yeah how do you feel you've done better than I thought why better than you thought because I don't have a lot of role models you know it didn't start that well and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's it's a it's a thin line of being super self-critical and 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 then over loving yourself and like thinking you're the only one that knows shit last time I was in London I've been working a lot and and the last year as I said and I haven't been able to travel to go home as much as I would have wanted to because of you know the pandemic but um when I was in London last time and I took my son out for for dinner and we're talking and he said I think you're too hard on yourself and I said nah when when you I mean I want you to be the one leaving me because I've been away too much it's time for me to be home so you can when you decide to leave that you're the one leaving and I realized that the how effortlessly and how free we we spoke and that he was so he didn't he's never scared of like hurting me and he doesn't I mean I just realized that he's he's honest and I guess that is freedom and I was like you know what I think I actually did good and that gave me like a piece of calmness to me it's funny because in many ways it seems like this film 
forced you to be honest with where you're at in your life. Definitely. You've said once, some people get stuck in a chapter and they go back to that chapter over and over because they can't close that chapter. Is the chapter closed on that part of you now that this film is coming out? Yeah, which is like maybe one of the best feelings I've had. It's like I've always felt like my life is a book and it contains different chapters. And my fear has been that I will keep returning to one chapter and that I'm like, can't find the key to the door. And I'm like looking for it. Like I was like chunk of hundred keys and trying and trying. And, like, it's like <laughs> and then now I feel like this movie is so much more than just a film. The roots are so deeply rooted in me and it's like the the subject matter and forgiving yourself and letting go of the past and moving on it's like all these things that I've been struggling with and keep coming back to those chapters now somehow it just feels like I can close it and the next chapter what do you hope it reads like that I will listen more I can talk and I can predict and I can lay out, like I can direct a conversation and I can make people go take different turns and twists and without them knowing that I'm actually like directing the conversation. But you don't really get an honest interaction. It's not, you don't, con it's not a real connection because I started so isolated or like I, I had this feeling of always being misunderstood or lonely my desperation to connect was so strong so then you create the connection instead of allowing it to be a connection if there's a connection and I would say that now I feel way more comfortable and calm in a seat of just listening and if there is a connection if it's meant to be then it's meant to be but I don't need to manipulate it or force it or drive it that is like real freedom freedom and I'm not like running away I'm not running <laughs> for the first time maybe I'm not running anymore which is like so weird maybe the whole point of this conversation was to force you to stop sprinting has it been okay surprisingly honest and uh I, I'm, I'm good with like predicting where things could go I had no clue and I just let it be <laughs> which I love I mean that's the whole purpose so thank you Numi Rapaz thanks for coming thanks for having me That's our show. Special thanks this week to Tori Cobb, Narrative PR, the team at A24, and of course, Numi Rapaz. You can watch her new film, Lamb, now available in theaters. To see if it's playing at a venue near you, visit tickets.lamb.movie. That's tickets.lamb.movie. You can also learn more about the film on our website, at talkeasypod.com. If you enjoyed today's episode with Numi, I have a feeling you may enjoy some past conversations with other artists like Julie Delpy, Janelle Monet, Edward Norton, Miranda July, Sean Baker, Laura Dern, Janixa Bravo, 
Matthew McConaughey, and many, many more. You can find all of those on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod. If you'd like to purchase one of our mugs or our vinyl record with Fran Lebowitz, you can do so at TalkEasyPod.com slash shop. That's TalkEasyPod.com slash shop. Of course, the show would not be possible without our incredible team. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producers are Caitlin Dryden and Nikki Spina. Our lead editor is Andre Lin. Our editor for today's episode is Caitlin Dryden. Our assistant editor is Clarice Guevara. Illustrations by Krisha Shenoy. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberzak, Orion Wong, Ian Jones, Isabel Primavera, and Ethan Seneca. Special thanks to Patrice Lee, Kaylin Ung, Shiloh Fagan, and Callie Syringus. I'd also like to give a special thanks to Tim Moore, our engineer out of York Recording here in Los Angeles, California. And of course, the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you back here next week with author Richard Powers. Until then, stay safe and so long. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.